Good morning. Welcome to the services this morning. We've been studying for the last few weeks this concept of, somebody need to mic me down, this concept of Christians but live like atheists. And we used the uh, Ten Commandments as a backdrop so we could learn a little bit more about the Ten Commandments, learn a a little bit more about God's will for us as it relates to those commandments that were given way back thousands and thousands of years old thousands and thousands of years ago. This morning we're going to talk about the fourth commandment. So I got a question. How was everybody's Sabbath yesterday? So yesterday was the Sabbath. There's a command in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20 to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And so I just wondered how everybody's Sabbath went. You know, for a long time, I thought Sabbath meant Saturday. I thought those two things were the same thing. They both began with similar letters and started the same way. Not till years later did I realize that most of the days of our week, if not all the days of our week, are based on Greek uh, gods. So Saturday was uh, the god of Saturn, and Sunday is the worship of the sun, and If you go through all the rest of the days, you'll find that there was some Greek mythological god that each day of the week that we use today was actually um, dedicated dedicated to um, many years ago. So Saturday and Sabbath don't mean the same thing. In fact, the word Sabbath defined means intermission. So if you think about a play and they'll have the first act and the second act and then sometimes they'll have an intermission where they rest for a little while, rest their voices, rejuvenate, recuperate, drink some water, the actors will. And then they'll go on with the rest of the play. It also means to desist from exertion and to put away or to put down and finally to rest, which is the most common definition that we use today that the Sabbath means to rest or not to work. So if we look at Exodus chapter 20, we're going to break that um, those verses down. And it's, uh, it's funny to me that actually this command's probably got more written about it there in Exodus chapter 20 than any of the rest of them. There's two or three or four verses talking about the Sabbath here. The rest of them just say, hey, don't lie, don't steal, don't, you know, there's not a whole lot of explanation. Now later on in Exodus... They start breaking some of those things down because maybe they're even more complicated. They talk about when it's right to steal, when it's not right to steal, or when you can get put to death for stealing, when you might not get put to death. So there's a lot more about it. But here in Exodus chapter 20, when they talk about the Sabbath, there's quite a few verses to talk about. It starts off in verse 8, and it just says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So what do some of those words mean? Well, remember means to... Properly mark so as to recognize. So it's talking about this day, and it says, I want you to mark this day. I want you to recognize this day, this Sabbath day. The Sabbath means to rest. We've already talked about that. Keep means to hedge about, to build walls around it, to protect it, to guard against it. And holy means to consecrate, to purify, or to pronounce as clean. And so when we think about this verse... There's a, lot of, there's a lot of meaning right there in those eight or nine words. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that's, uh, that, that's in just those few words. But it doesn't leave us there. It goes on to say this, Six days shall ye labor 
and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it talks about, in this case, Sunday through Friday, you get your work done in the Old Testament days. You get your work done the first six days, and on the seventh day, you rest. And it says... It says that the uh, seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And it explains that in a few verses here in a few minutes that we'll look at. But this day was important to God, and he wanted people to work ahead of that day. And then on this day, he wanted them to set it apart and to, and to keep it holy and to consecrate it and, to, and not to rest. I mean, not to work, but to rest. And then he gives them an example. It says, In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughters nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within the gates. So no work, nobody, not a nothing. Doesn't matter uh, who's in your house. Everybody gets the day off, even the animals. And we'll find out, you find out later in Exodus that even the earth gets a year off. So their crops and their fields, six years they planted and worked and they did their crops and they laid those by and stored them up. And on the seventh year, the land got to rest. So everything had a Sabbath. Everything had some rest involved with it. And then it says, "For For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So you remember it said the seventh day was a Sabbath unto the Lord. This explains why. It says He built the earth. He created everything from nothing, from void. I've told some of you this this joke about the Lord and the devil walking along the seashore. And they're talking about creation and they're debating it. And the devil says, well, there's not that much to it. And so the Lord bends down and molds a rabbit out of the sand there on the seashores and blows on it and hits it on its rear end. And the little rabbit bounces off alive. And the devil said, that's nothing. And he gets down and he starts molding in the dirt. And the Lord taps him on the shoulder and says, use your own dirt. You see, the Lord created it out of nothing. He created everything. He created it out of a void. Everybody else has to have something to work with. We talk about being creative. Hey, that Bill Gates is creative, or that, uh, who, who created Apple? He was creative, right? He created these iPhones that we carry around, the iPads. He created all of these things. No, he had a creative thought, but they're made out of something that was already created. He didn't create anything. He made it. He invented it. He had a creative thought. But it's made out of glass and metal and transistors and resistors and that, that have already, they were all created out of something that God made. We don't create anything new today. Never have, never will. Everything comes from something that God created for us. And he created it in six days. And on the seventh day he rested. He said, I want my people to do the same thing. I want you to honor me in that. So he uses creation as a specific example. He says it's blessed. 
And this is important that the blessing goes both ways. God gets the blessing of his people worshiping him and honoring him in the way that he's asking them to do. And the people get a blessing and that they get a day to recuperate. Right? They got a day of rest to recuperate and get ready for the rest of the week. And again, he uses this word hallowed, which is the exact same word in the uh, earlier verses that was used as holy, defined as holy. So holy and hallowed are the same Hebrew word that mean to consecrate it and to purify it. So what were some of the details? Well, we've already talked about some of them. He said rest the people, rest the animals. And as I explained, and in, in later in, uh, I think it's in Leviticus actually, it talks about the resting of the earth every seven years. But it was also important to God. It was so important that there's a story about somebody that violated it in Exodus 35. And this fellow is on the Sabbath picking up sticks. We probably all heard the story. So he's picking up sticks on the Sabbath in Exodus 35. And some of the people find him. And they bring him before Moses and the, uh, the Israelite nation. And God tells Moses, I want you to take him outside the city. And I want you to stone him to death. You see, it was important to God that these people obeyed the Sabbath. Well, why? Well, he's already given us one reason, right? I created the world in six days. I rested. I want you, my creation, to do the same thing. He gave us a command that he wanted us to follow. That's one reason it was important. But he gives us others in the, in the scripture. <clears throat> so the question of why, in Exodus chapter 31, it says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I, the Lord, sanctified you. So he said, it's a sign between me and you that I have sanctified you, that I purified you, that I've sanctified you. He goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 5, ye shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The preceding verse is talking about the Sabbath. So he's talking about the Sabbath. He says, you were a slave. You were lost. You were a slave. And I brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So he gives them several reasons that this Sabbath is important. And he asks them to keep it. But what happened? Maybe some applications this afternoon can talk about. There's, there's a lot about the Sabbath in the first four Gospels. There's, there's a lot of, but what happened to this Sabbath is the same thing that happens a lot of times is that men start trying to figure out what's better, right? And so they institute a bunch of ritualized traditions and they have multiple meals and synagogue worship and a bunch of prayers and, and it really became a burden. And so where God wanted something to be a rest and opportunity for them to relax and to recuperate, it turned into a burden. I want to read, um, I don't have this on the PowerPoint because it's just too many words to put up there. I'm no Jewish historian nor am I a Jewish expert, but 
you know, if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. So here's, here's what the Internet says about it. <clears throat> it says, although variations on Sabbath observance observance exist among the branches of Judaism and even among families, the basic pattern is universal. The Sabbath begins on Friday at sundown and lasts until sundown on Saturday, but preparation for the Sabbath begins well in advance. The majority of Sabbath activity is carried out in the home, so Friday is a day of hard work by the women of the household as they shop and prepare. All cooking and baking for the Sabbath day must be completed before the Sabbath begins, so the Jewish home is a hive of activity in the morning and afternoon. In addition to the preparation of food, the house is likely to receive a thorough cleaning. Fortunately for the housewife, the men of the house may assist her in this task. On Friday afternoon, everyone puts on their best clothes and mundane items like money and tools and utensils, which might remind them of weekday work, are hidden from view. The table is covered with a white cloth and set with the necessary items from the sap for the Sabbath meal. The two Charlotte, which are braided loaves in their embroidered cover, a bottle of wine and a goblet, candlesticks and candles, and in some homes, Sabbath flowers. After a coin is dropped into the charity box, the wife of the house ushers in the Sabbath by lighting the two candles on the table. Shielding her eyes from the flickering frame, she recites a prayer of blessing on the family, opening her eyes only after the benediction has been pronounced. Now the Sabbath has truly begun. The father of the house lays his hands on his sons, blessing them with words, May God make you like unto Ephraim and Manasseh. His daughters are similarly greeted, May God make you like unto Sarah, Rebekah, Rachel, and Leah. This blessing is followed by a priestly benediction and a personal prayer of the father's choice. Turning to his wife, the man praises her with the recitation. How do you say recitation? Recite. He basically recites Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far more, uh, far above jewels in the rest of the preceding verses. Gathering around the table, the family then prepares to take the first Sabbath meal. And I'm going to, I'm no Jewish, I'm not Jewish, so I'm going to mispronounce some of these words. The Kaddush, a prayer from this, for the sanctification of the Sabbath, is recited over the cup of wine and everyone has a taste. The man of the house then blesses the loaf with the hamasi and hands out pieces of shallow bread to everyone present. The Zimroth, or Sabbath type hymns, are joyfully sung. These are sung of cheer, lighthearted and pleasant to celebrate the day. The main part of the meal is set upon the table and the family helps themselves to tasty portions of special Sabbath foods like stuffed fish. There's a Jewish word for it, but I'm not going to pass up on that. And pudding. In the past, uh, in the past, a Sabbath guest, usually a poor Jew, was invited to share the meal. After the meal, the family relaxes together at home or goes to the Friday night services at the synagogue before retiring to their beds. Saturday begins with a morning synagogue service, which lasts about three hours. After the Torah reading and the recitation of prayers has concluded, the Jewish people greet each other with hearty gut shabos or sabbat shalom. Returning home, the family gathers for the second Sabbath meal, which is a leisurely affair similar to the meal enjoyed Friday night. Again, the uh, pudding and the, or, or I'm sorry, the uh, the Kaddush and the Hamasi are recited, and the Zimmerat is sung. 
The Sabbath afternoon, the Sabbath afternoon may be spent in various ways according to the age of the participants resting, taking leisurely strolls in the neighborhood, or making social calls to friends and relatives. In summer, when the afternoons are longer, a chapter of the It's called The Ethics of the Father, but again, it's a Jewish uh, reading. It's read by the diligent Jew. The third Sabbath meal after the afternoon service is called the Sidhu Salish. It is less joyful and relaxed than the other meals as the end of the Sabbath is approaching and the prospect of another work week looms. The Jews prolong their beloved Sabbath until three stars are visible to the naked eye. Then the mother of the house recites the prayer which begins, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, guard thy people Israel for thy praise. The Sabbath is concluded with the um, Havdalah ceremony. The Havdalah prayer commemorates God's division of light from darkness, holy from profane Israel from the nations. The light is blessed in honor of its creation on the first day, then spices are blessed and smelled as a feast uh, for the extra soul, in quotes, which Jews are believed to possess on the Sabbath day. Zimrat, referring to the prophet Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah, are sung, Queen Sabbath, quote-unquote, has now departed from the house, and the Jewish family resumes their weekday duties. A lot of stuff, a lot of preparation, a lot of work for a day that the Lord wanted them to rest and reflect on the fact that they had been taken out of bondage, reflect on the fact that he was their creator and their God. A lot of work goes on there. So what is the Sabbath for Christians? What, what, is it, what does it mean for us? We, rec- we recognize that Jesus died on the cross. We recognize that there's a, a new dispensation. We recognize that the New Testament governs what we are to do and to say and to act and to be. We also recognize that most of the commandments that we're studying in Exodus chapter 20 are repeated in some form in the New Testament. Save this one. There is no commandment in the New Testament that tells us to honor Sunday or Saturday or a Sabbath or anything like that in the New Testament. So what does, what does the Sabbath mean for Christians today? You know, just like most of the commandments, they went from being a very strict uh, shadow in the Old Testament today being something that is fulfilled much fuller and in some respects much harder. And the Sabbath is probably no different than that. Back then, they had one day that they set aside to really worship God and to look. Well, not to really. It wasn't set aside to worship. It was set aside to rest and to reflect. They turned it into some worship. Today, we're called to be always. There's a lot of always for Christians. Always praying, praying without ceasing, always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We're to live Christian lives all the time, 24-7-365. But what does the Sabbath mean for Christians today? Well, the early Christians wondered that too, right? So we've got Jews that have just been converted into Christianity. 
And they're like, what, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to, old law, new law, how do I rightly divide that? <laughs> when Colossians chapter 2, we get, some, we get some help with that. In the first five verses, Paul writing to the Colossians, he talks about his love for them. So he basically sets the stage and says, I'm with you in spirit. I love you. You know who I am. So you can trust that what I'm about to tell you is true. And that you can trust that you need to carry these things out. In verses 6 through verses 15, he talks about the fact that they had all been filled with Christ. That's important been filled with Christ, that we've been buried with Him in baptism, that we've been raised with Christ through faith, that we at once were dead in our trespasses, but God has forgiven us those trespasses. Things have changed since we took on Christ. We've been filled with Him. We've been buried with baptism into Him in other verses. So then in verse number 16 it says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to, fest, to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, notice capital H-E-D, which is Christ, for whom the whole body, nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. <clears throat> so he talks a lot, ascetism, that's a big word. It's a, it, means that, um, it means severe self-discipline to the point that when they sinned, they would cut themselves. They would, they would, they, it's, it's severe. Um, avoidance of all forms of indulgence. So they were taught, he was talking here about basically man's wisdom. And he said, man's wisdom is, is not what it's about. He said, you were, this is all shadows. The substance belongs to Christ. So we've been baptized into Christ. We're filled with Christ. So that's important. So these early Christians wondered about it too. And he said the Sabbath was a shadow. There's a lot of shadows in the Old Testament. The early Sabbath, talking about rest, was a shadow of what they were going to receive in Canaan. And they received that through Joshua. And Canaan and that rest is a shadow of what we're going to receive and have already received to some degree. You see, we've got a promise of rest today and in the future. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. So these early Christians wondered too, well, what about the apostles? How, were, how would, did they worship in, the, in, this, in this New Testament church? How did they take on the Sabbath? Well, let's talk about Paul because Paul wrote most of the New Testament or wrote a lot of it, wrote the majority of it. And um, 
is a central character um, in this because he was a Jew converted on the road to Damascus. In Romans chapter 9, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So it's important to note that Paul loved his brothers and sisters. He loved the Jews. He loved his kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, you know, I almost wish that I could be condemned myself if my brothers and my kinsmen could be saved. He says, um, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ if it would benefit my kinsmen and my brothers according to the flesh. So Paul loved his Jewish brothers and his Jewish sisters. That's, that's important. In the, sec- in the chapter right after that, he goes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them as Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal from God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they'll be saved. Paul wanted to save the Jews. So how did he go about doing that in the New Testament? Well, he tells us in Second or in First Corinthians chapter nine. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in this blessing. So Paul tells us right there how he's going to do it. He said, I'm going, to be, I'm going to look like a Jew to these Jewish people because I'm trying to win them over. If you're weak, I'm going to look weak because I don't want you to think that I'm something that I'm not. If you're outside the law, I'm going to look like I'm outside the law so that we can talk and have an honest conversation. I'm going to become all things. But at the end, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So how did Paul do that? Well, in Acts chapter 18, we have an example. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Timothy and uh, uh, Silas and Timothy come. They find Paul in the synagogue with the Jews, with his brothers, with his kinsmen, reasoning with them, trying to convert them, preaching the gospel to them. And they would not have any, the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with him. They reviled him. 
And from that particular moment in Acts chapter 18, he turned his attention towards the Gentiles and left the Jews alone. His kinsmen according to the flesh. The ones that he prayed for in Romans and yearned for so bad in Romans. So what about us? Turn to Hebrews, if you would. Some of this is up there, but after I made the slide deck, I thought, you know, there's some, there's some preface to what's on the slide deck that uh, might be of interest. So in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse number 7, and, you know, we, we really don't have a firm, there's, there's no uh, authorship in Hebrews, so a lot of people think Paul did it. A lot of people just refer to the Hebrew writer because, because we don't know who did it. Exactly. I, I probably would lean towards Paul, but it's not important for this context. But the writer here in verse number 7 of chapter 3, beginning, says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do not they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation... For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to him, but to them that believed not? So we see they could not enter in because... Of unbelief. So in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter three, you know, I told you that the the Sabbath day, the rest, was a shadow of Canaan. Canaan was a shadow of of things for us, and that's what he says there. He says, "I had promised that they could enter into the rest, the land of Canaan that flows with milk and honey. I'd promised them that. But the day on provocation, the day of provocation, was that day when those spies came back and said, "We can't do it. We can't take the land." And he said, I was mad at them. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And their carcasses died there because of their unbelief and because they didn't have faith enough in me as God that I could take them into that land and conquer those giants that they saw. And so they fell, and they didn't get to enter into my rest. <clears throat> so that's important as we look at the very next chapter, the first 11 verses of chapter 4, which are on the screen. <clears throat> therefore, because of all that stuff we just talked about, that's why we went back. Because I saw therefore, and 
Anytime I see therefore, I wonder what it's there for. So we go back and we read ahead of it. So that's what we just did. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This is probably the ESV version. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as a sore, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he says, those of us that believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and were baptized and have become Christians, we have entered the rest. Because you see, our Sabbath is Jesus Christ. Our rest is Jesus Christ. We're in His rest. It goes on to say, For He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in His way, in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this passage He said, They shall not enter into, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, meaning Canaan, if Canaan had been the true rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So he says here in the middle, "Since since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. He's talking about the Jews. He said they didn't listen. They didn't obey. They failed to enter it. Again, he says, he appoints a certain day, and that day is today. Don't harden your hearts today. Enter that rest. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall because of disobedience. So we have a Sabbath. It's not a day anymore. It's our Lord. It's our Savior. We enter into His, enter into Christ. We enter into that rest. We enter into the actual rest that was foreshadowed by the Sabbath days and keeping them holy. Was foreshadowed by the promise of Canaan. And that rest is today in Jesus Christ. It's also in the future in the form of heaven. Someday we'll rest and worship with the Lord all the time. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, again, there's some discussion of the Sabbath. And Jesus points out there that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And we have entered into him. He is Lord of that Sabbath. So this morning, putting all of that together... It's a life. It's not a day anymore. We're walking a Christian life 
We're not to be. We're not to look like atheists. We're look, we're to be Christians. We're to handle our ways. We're to handle our business. We're to handle our relationships. We're to handle our daily life in a Christian way, according to the Christian New Testament. Hope that all makes sense. It's uh, it's a little complicated, but it's also very simple. And the simple part is. When you enter into Christ, you enter into rest. You enter into salvation. You enter into a relationship with Him. And as long as you strive to stay in that relationship, you will. And He'll protect you. He'll hedge you. He'll build a hedge about you. And He'll protect you. He won't tempt you beyond what you're able to bear. And He'll give you that rest someday eternally with Him. If we can help you, if there's anything, that any prayers that you need, if you need the, the prayers of the church, if you want to enter into his rest today, we can make arrangements and make that happen today. If you would come as we stand and sing. Song's been selected.